The tour content from now through Lagwa Omer has been generously sponsored by Malki M. Thank you, Malki. June is less than a month away, which means that I'll soon be transitioning into summer writing mode with more Substack articles and fewer recorded shiurim. The bulk of these articles will remain free. However, if you would like to support my Torah and gain access to additional spicy written content, consider becoming a paid subscriber by going to rabbishneweis.substack.com and signing up today. Hello, I'm Rabbi Matt Schneeweiss, and this is the Stoke Jew Podcast, where we explore the relationship between Judaism and Stoicism. I apologize for not recording an episode for over a week, but once again, I have fallen into podcaster's block, not in terms of a, a lack of ideas, but in terms of, of building up a lot of pressure about what a specific episode is going to look like and uh, and then spinning my wheels and and pushing it off and not recording it so we're just going to force ourselves to do it this morning and see how it turns out okay so today's reading is from epictetus uh epictetus's discourses book two chapter 18 sections 24 and 25 he's epictetus says in the first place do not allow yourself to be carried away by the intensity of your impression but say impression wait for me a little let me see what you are and what you represent let me test you then afterwards, do not allow it to draw you on by picturing what may come next. For if you do, it will lead you wherever it pleases. But rather, you should introduce some fair and noble impression to replace it and banish this base and sordid one. Okay, now we've talked about Epictetus's focus on impressions. Impressions are these, I, I don't know if it's the Stoic term or his Stoic term, for the representations of reality generated by your imagination, which may or may not correspond to the actual reality. Most of your impressions are influenced by your desires or by your fears. And a foundational part of Epictetus' Stoicism is learning to catch yourself when you're taken in by an impression. And as Epictetus says here, to pause and ask yourself whether this impression actually reflects reality. And if it doesn't, then you replace the the distorted impression with a with a more accurate one or one that's more conducive to to good decisions or to right thinking. So what I wanted to make this episode about was, you know, sometimes you end up encountering two, two, I guess, one idea in two different forms from, from two radically different sources. And the, uh, the, the, the interaction between those two instances is like a flint and it creates a spark and, uh, and that would not have been produced on its own by either source. Okay, so so in this case, the the spark was produced by two. Uh, I guess I was going to say pieces of literature. Well, one is a, uh, a a nonfiction book called The Lion Tracker's Guide to Life, and the other is a scene from a show that I have been watching. So let me start off with this this book. So this is a book called The Lion Tracker's Guide to Life by Boyd Vardy, who is a South African safari guide, and he uh, he wrote this book to basically illustrate how he has how being a safari guide and being in a family of 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 wildlife experts and and conservationists has shaped his his view of how to how to make decisions in life and has you know he he writes about these things in ways that lend themselves to whatever area of life you're involved in or whatever profession you're involved in okay uh, i i plan on writing a review about this later on but i haven't done so yet okay so he's talking about an experience that he had with his family where when his family came to a certain part of africa i don't remember where this was at the at the time then they were confronted with very 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 thick scrub land 
and this guy Ken Tinley, whose job it was to to re envision land uh, and its uses, came in and had this this uh, this wild, seemingly wildly optimistic way of looking at uh, at what this scrub could become. So. So I'm actually going to read this excerpt out of order. So so Vardy says as follows. He says, uh, this was why Ken was such a lightning bolt. Ken was a tracker of landscape, and he could see tracks no one else could see. He saw a whole other landscape waiting to be realized under the thick mat of defensive scrub. He saw a wild, beautiful garden that could be brought back to its original harmony. Something about his intense confidence compelled my father and uncle to follow the trail he was blazing. Restore the micro uh, catchments. Plug the headward erosion. Think of the land as your partner, Ken bellowed around the fires. They rented an old bulldozer and began to smash up the scrub. This is utter destruction, my father said when he looked at the land after a day of clearing scrub. Trust me, Ken said. Trust the process. It's not going to look pretty, but allow nature time to respond. Slowly, methodically, they cleared the scrub away and packed it into, ero- into the erosive furrows. It stabilized the furrows so that water no longer ran off, and this allowed it to be absorbed by the ground. That groundwater replenished the parched earth, and something miraculous started to happen. The pattern of the landscape was changing. The grasses came back, and the scrub no longer grew. In this new grasslands, animals started to appear. My father, to this day, cannot contain the joy of those days as they watched the animals return. Herds of zebra and wildebeest began to flock onto the scrubless terrain. Rhinos walked into the open grassland, and, and herds of impala grazed in the evening light. Land was becoming itself again. As a young boy, I had watched this transformation, not yet understanding that the land healing would touch my life so deeply and transform and inform my de- destiny so profoundly. Okay, so that's a description of what he saw happening. Okay, but what is the lesson he drew from it? So he actually stated this at the beginning of the excerpt. He says, uh, "He says, when my family had first arrived, they had thought that this was simply the way the land was." If something is all you have ever known, you mistakenly believe that's just how it is. Perhaps this is the greatest danger, that we don't even recognize another way. So this really leapt out at me because this is really why I gained so much value from Stoicism. And this is really my whole orientation towards Torah itself, which is taking the way that we experience. Uh, someone asked me, one of my students asked me, what is your favorite flavor of Torah. And what he meant by that is when you learn Torah, when you're seeking something in Torah, what is it that you're seeking? Like what is, what, what type of learning? There's lots of different types of learning and lots of experiences you can have in learning Torah, but what is the thing that you are seeking? And I instantly knew my answer is I said, I am looking in everything I learn. I'm looking for, for the, for insights, which transform the way that I view reality and affect the way that I live. And I'm looking for those insights per se, but I'm also looking for the experience of having those insights. That's really why, that's why I love Mishle. That's why I love the Mishnah Torah. That's why I love Tefillah. That's why I love Tehillim. All of the areas that I'm most attracted to in Torah have to do with this process of seeking, seeking the underlying truth in something, in a way that, that, completely overhauls the way that I view uh, <laughs> that I, I'm seeing reality and uh, and then leads to a, a different orientation to reality and, and different decisions. And, and that's what I see in Stoicism. And that, that's expressed in this passage from Epictetus, which is, Epic, for Epictetus, the whole process is taking the impressions that you have and then questioning them and realizing that this is not necessarily reflective of what reality is, and then seeking a more accurate uh, perception of reality. And I thought that, that that excerpt in Lion Tracker's Guide to Life really captures that, is that you see this brushland, this, sorry, the scrubland, and if 
and it looks like nothing can grow there and no animals are going to be there. And if that's all you've ever known, then you think that there's no other way. And, uh, and this guy, Ken, showed him showed them that that there is a, a process you can engage in and 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 transform the land but the, the the key is that it wasn't his his practical knowledge of how to transform the land it was his ability to see the potential in this land and to see things that that were not actually there you know to replace the impressions generated by an, uh, a a lifeless scrubland to replace that with the impression of of seeing that this could be a thriving ecosystem. Okay, so I mentioned that there are two sources. So that was one source, but then the other source is from a, a scene from a show. Now, I am very, very machmir. I'm very strict when it comes to not spoiling things. So I'm not even going to identify what show this is because I don't want people to uh, to have this scene spoiled. But uh, hopefully those who have seen the show will know it. I, I just actually finished the entire, uh, the entire thing over the course of the last couple of weeks. So there's a scene involving a woman who is a criminal who lives a life of crime and and she is being held hostage by a uh, a devoutly christian man and he's questioning why she has chosen this life and why she's living the way that she has lived so she says to him as follows so so it's it's uh, the woman and her husband by the way so so he says you know why why have you uh, uh lived this life of crime so he says so she says because we felt we had to convinced ourselves it was the only way that's the thing no one tells you about evil. They make it seem like there are two clearly marked paths with flashing signs pointing out each way. Sin, redemption. I mean, they tell you Adam and Eve knew they, that they could eat from every single tree in the garden except one. But the truth is, evil comes when the righteous path is so hidden, it just looks like there's only one way out. The truth is Adam and Eve probably grabbed that apple because they were effing starving and it was the first tree they saw. Okay, so this is a similar idea in the sense that evil does not come from a seeing clearly of two paths and then a choosing of of the one over the other. It comes from this this distorted perception that there is only one way, and they felt that they had to. And again, that's just another manifestation of the same phenomenon of of uh, of Epictetus or of the the of, of Boyd Vardy's. Uh, um, perception of the scrubland is that you look at it and you're like, this is the only way. And you feel you have to, because you can't see the possibility of another way. And, uh, and that's what, again, that's what Epictetus is trying to, to train us to do is to question our impressions and ask ourselves, is there another way? And with this, I mean, this application to, to evil made me think of the Rambam in the Mornavuchim in the Guide for the Perplexed 311, where he's defining the cause of, of all De, all evil that comes from decisions uh, that we make to either harm our uh, each other or ourselves. He says, these great evils that come about between the human individuals who inflict them upon one another because of purposes, desires, opinions, and beliefs, all of them are likewise consequent upon privation. All of them derive from ignorance, I mean from a privation of knowledge. Just as a blind man, because of the absence of sight, does not cease stumbling, being wounded and also wounding others, because he has nobody to guide him on his way, so too the various sects of men, every individual according to the extent of his ignorance, does to himself and to others great evils from which individuals of the species suffer. If there were knowledge whose relation to the human form is like that of the faculty of sight to the eye, they would refrain from doing any harm to themselves and to others, for the knowledge of truth removes hatred and quarrels and prevents mutual harms. So that's the Ramam's theory of evil, that, that all instances of interpersonal 
evil and the evil we cause to ourselves is due to ignorance. And I had read and learned that Rama many, many times, but it was that scene in that show where, where a woman who's living a life of evil is, is lamenting this fact that why did we do this? Because we felt we had to, because we saw we, we, the, the righteous path was so hidden that we couldn't see any other way. To me, that shed a new light on this, on this Rambam. And, uh, and I think that that is a path of tshuva that, that when you find yourself caught in an evil or harmful cycle, recognize number one, that this is stemming from ignorance and that ignorance is not just lacking facts. It's also lacking perspective. It's lacking the ability to see the potential for good in a certain situation and thinking that the only path is the, is the path of, uh, of evil, uh, that you've been, that you've been choosing or the path of, of, uh, self-destructive, destructive activity. So, uh, that <laughs> I guess is my, uh, my insight that I had from, from a confluence of these, uh, these sources. And, uh, I'm sure there's much more to be said here, but that is uh, what I wanted. I succeeded in expressing what I wanted to express. So that's, that's the insight, uh, take it or leave it. Uh, that is it for today's episode. I hope you've gained from what you've learned here today. And if you have, please consider contributing to my Patreon at www.patreon.com slash Rabbi Alternatively, if you'd like to make a direct contribution to the Rabbi Schneeweiss Torah content fund, my Venmo is at nat schneeweiss and my Zell and PayPal are mattschneeweiss at gmail.com. Even a small contribution goes a long way to covering the cost of my podcast and will provide me with the financial freedom to produce even more Torah content for you. And right now we have a sponsor through the end of Adar Shani, which ends at the end of this week. So we have no other sponsors lined up for Nissan. So if you'd like to sponsor, this would be a great time to do so. If you would like to sponsor a day's or a week's worth of content, or if you are interested in enlisting my services as a, te- as a teacher or tutor, you can reach me at rabbishnewis at gmail.com. Thank you to my listeners for listening. Thank you to my readers for reading. And thank you to my supporters for supporting my efforts to make Torah ideas available and accessible to everyone.